content warning. This podcast contains coarse language and cheeky themes. So if you've got kids in the car, colleagues in the office, or a nonna in the kitchen, chuck some headphones in. Who the bloody hell are we? Conversations about immigration and culture in Australia with your hosts, Mel and Sonia. Hello, listeners, and welcome to today's episode. Joining me once again is my co-host, Melissa Viola. Hello. Hello. Ciao, Bella. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I usually introduce myself by saying I'm Sonia Diorio, but I didn't say that this time. You are Sonia Diorio. Hi. I, I feel like the beautiful, people know, the though, only. and if they don't, oh, they'll find out. It's good. you got to yeah. give yourself the prompts. you got to introduce yourself. It's polite. We might have people like just clicking on this podcast and hearing my intro and being like, who is this? I don't know. <laughs> I'm shutting I'm off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm very excited today because we are uh, joined by a wonderful guest. Uh, we've got Diana Nguyen. Hello. Um, hello. She's an actress. Um, hello. You're an actress, writer, comedian, presenter, and um, you created the wonderful web series Fee and Me, and she's also the creator and host of the Snortcast. Um, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me on, guys. Um, we were mentioning before that, um, you know, we're both in the comedy and performing circles, but we've never actually met in real life, which is such no. a shame. Yeah, we're just yeah, stalking it, on Instagram. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> There's so many people that I know from the internet. Mm. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know her. That's my friend. No, I've never met them. <laughs> we've never spoken. Um, Look, it's nice yeah. that it's the comedy community that's keeping you together because, and that you think that you have these relationships because I once waved to Peter Alexander because I thought I knew him, <laughs> but I just follow him on Instagram and he's a beautiful dog. So, yeah, great. you know, this is, um, it's more realistic. Yeah, but it's a shame that we can't do this. Um, oh, well, the good thing is that you can you can join us from your place and we're all in our respective houses and we can easily um, have, you know, record a great episode. But... Um, the the thing that sucks about the situation is that we can't be in the studio together and have a proper introduction um, due to all the restrictions. Um, but I feel like um, from stalking you on Instagram, <laughs> I've noticed that you've been you're you're someone who has really um, kind of adapted and still th- thriving creatively despite the environment, which is great. Ooh. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of a strange world, isn't it? Like we're in the middle of a pandemic uh, and Melbourne, we're on extreme lockdown at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've been very fortunate that three years ago I started to put my work online. So when mm. COVID happened, it was just saying what do I need to do now with my online audience? So it was a, it was a pivot but a good pivot um, that was already, it was already going it wasn't like a yeah. new idea. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I think that was the the struggle with a lot of live performers. It's like, okay, yeah, you can just do um, online stuff now. And it's like, hang on, we've been training on stage with live performing and now we have to do something of uh, as high quality online when that's not that's not our background. Um, no. But it, it just shows how, yeah, it, how great it is when you sort of di- diversify your um, art forms and mm. um, the platforms that you work on. Uh, I did mention up the top that you you created uh, Fee and Me, which was the first Vietnamese Australian family comedy web series, which is incredible, <laughs> insane. I know it took it took forty. 40 or so years to do it so (laughs) it didn't take you 40 years though (laughs) you weren't filming for 40 years no I'm still in my 20s but like after the Vietnam War and settlement in Australia you'd think that someone else would have done something like this but it took it took two women from Springvale to sit down and write a show about our mums um, and we, it only released last year, so it's still fresh off the boat, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh, that's great. And so you said um, it's about your mums. Um, mm. You combine the characters of your mums and you play the mum in the role. Yes. Um, how how easy or difficult was it for you to slip into that, you know? Was it just a matter of like I've absorbed all of this over the years and it's quite easy to take on or? Well, 
you know, I am a trained actor. I went to Monash University mm. and I, I never thought that the character that I would nail would be my mum. Um, <laughs> you know, all this theatre yeah. training I'd done. But yeah. I started playing this character intensively uh, when I was 25 and this was just before Melbourne Comedy Festival in 2011. Um, and, you know, I didn't want to do a shocking job of the accent because the accent, yeah. we didn't want to mock the accent. I had to be in the accent. So mm. it was relying me to sit in the kitchen and just watch the way my mum talked while cooking. Um, you know, they say that when people are in their natural habitat or you know, in their natural routine, uh, their humanness comes out alive more. Mm. Um, so by doing that and, you know, over years the the character has changed um, over time with the years as I've aged. Like I'm now 35 so that's 10 years ago. Um, it's It's been brilliant and I know it works when older men come and try to pick me up after a show <laughs> because... <laughs> Because they think the character is real. They think that I actually have this accent and that's amazing for me that I've crafted it so well. Yeah, right. (laughs) That's so cute. That's the thing that I like most about the show is that it's not in any way mocking. It's just it's just drenched in love and respect and that's the best kind of like the best kind of art form and that's the best kind of um, I guess personification of a culture is that it's mm. you know it's coming from your experiences with your mother but it's also you know it's silly and it's obviously over the top because she's you know she's a caricature like yes. you know, but uh, it's really nice it's very um well-rounded which is great oh, um, yeah. did you feel uh god because i know that i would feel a sense of stress and uh we were you weary about the way that your mother would react to such a caricature uh, no, so I, I I know it's I know it's been I know it seems caricature and it's caricature because it came from a theatre form. So mm-hmm. anytime yeah. you play an yeah. explosive character like that, you put your categorise into a caricature or pantomime, and that's that's what the Herald Sun called us. They called us um, pantomime on crack. Um, because it was just so fast and the, the mum was just so explosive while the, the son, so Fee and Me originally was a boy, was slow. Mm. So the characters kept, kept amping up, amping up, and you had to, sh- the show relied on her reaction. Um, yeah. yeah, so with the, and I, I, I have, I've had to learn how to drop in, like especially um, in the scenes from Fee and Me, like, there's explosions, there's a lot of tough love, but when she sits down and she has one-on-one with her daughter, um, you know, in episode four when it drops in from the comedy to a dramedy, um, mm. you see that she's just a human being who just loves her child. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's and I think because in Australian comedy we play caricature, mm. you know, we play those amped-up characters, um, you know, Kath and Kim uh, yeah. uh, walks out of work, you know, mm. uh, the, the stereotypes of characters have been mm. amped up. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, I, I, I'm grateful that people have connected it and have given me permission to play her because that, mm. was, uh, that was something that I was scared of, that, that we didn't want our mums to be laughed at. We wanted mm-hmm. them to laugh with our mums. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I think I think that happens well. It happened when I was watching it. And I think, you know, we talk about, you know, having to heighten things and create caricatures and that sort of thing. And uh, I feel like you've probably been in situations because, you know, you're living in uh, modern Australia. Your life would be very different to your mother's life. Mm. And, um, like, even my life is different to my mother's life of living in a little village in Italy and then they've come here and they're around other Italians and immigrants and and sometimes you're around them in the family setting and they're having these conversations and you're like, what, are you people crazy? Like, (laughs) they are kind of caricatures. Like, it's like if I told people that that this was happening, they wouldn't believe it. Mm. So I think... Maybe part of what people see as caricature is like, no, 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 they're really 
you know, my, my family's always yelling and that sort of thing. And it's like, mm. yeah, that's what we're <laughs> reflecting. That's yeah. what we're reflecting. Um, I, I, I think because of comedy, it's, it's because it's been so tokenized in Australia yeah. that um, one example of a culture is everyone. And so the stereotype yeah. then starts to represent everyone. And I've been really uh, on the forefront to say, look, Feed Me is one version of the story. Yeah. And it's actually our responsibility, and not my responsibility, but every person to show up and tell their story in how they interact with their parents. Because not everyone has this relation with my mum where, you know, she's um, uh, not wanting me to do drama. Not every child yeah. wants to do drama. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting how um, with stories and especially with ethnic stories, and I, I, I've, I'm guilty of it too. Like so I fall into the trap of um, being the same narration of what I've been used to. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to un- unlock that perception yeah. of my own work. Yeah, and I think from, you know, we've spoken to a lot of people from all kinds of backgrounds and there's, there's sort of a balance of like, oh, hey, um, these things are similar with um, other people from my culture who have migrated here. And then there's also the incredible individualistic nature of, uh, yeah, the experience. It's mm. it's sort of like there's similarities, but, yeah, everyone is so different and yeah. um, there's so many nuances within a culture that you can't generalise but there is common ground yes. and humour can often came, uh, come from that. Um, yeah. as it did in Fear Me. Mm. Um, yeah. So did you, um, obviously you spoke about, you know, wanting to do drama and acting and as is the character in Fear and Me, was that mm. um, just based on you or was that uh, a, a moulding of two people as well? It was a, it was a moulding. Fiona did go to Monash and study drama as yep. well, but she ended up becoming a full-time teacher um, yep. And that that was the direction I was going to go into was to teach, go into teaching. But my drama teacher at uh, when I was twenty said, "Look, you haven't failed as an actor yet, so why don't you just fail first and then <laughs> wow. become a drama teacher?" Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, I actually spoke to him two days ago, um, and yeah, I'm glad I decided to fail in drama because it is <laughs> failure sometimes. Yeah, it's a it's a. It's a great reflection of the performing industry, isn't it? That mm. they're like, hang on, fail first and then <laughs> go into yeah. a um, thriving field. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it is, I mean, there's a lot against you, you know, in just as a performer, it's hard to make it, you know, in the industry for any kind of performance. And then, as you said, it's the first comedy series of its kind. So mm. coupled with that, you're not you didn't grow up seeing Vietnamese people on um, Australian TV. So no, there's another it, barrier. And Yeah, mm. it was more, it was Hung Lee in the 1990s. Yeah. Yep. Um, and he's like a bit of a legend in the comedy scene because he's yes. so so vintage now. Um, but, yeah, it, and Margaret Cho was back in the 90s as well. So she, yep. like if I had to think of American Asian. Um, mm. But, yeah, it was very limited. And so we've had to forge our way. So when Fee and Me was performing at the Comedy Festival in 2011, we were the f- we had people lining up at our doors um, wanting to see something different that wasn't, um, you know, what was Melbourne Comedy Festival was a very white uh, lineup of shows. So yeah. um, we decided that we wanted to challenge the norm <laughs> and mm. take a risk and lose money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you wanted to join this club of like, <laughs> yeah, financial loss. So that's so exciting. So you you guys decided to write the show for the comedy festival, and then it formed into a web series, and then it got picked up by Screen Australia. Is that kind of like the timeline? Um, so twenty so twenty ten, I saw Felicity Ward's show at the Melbourne Town Hall at Comedy Festival, and I sat there with a full 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 crowded audience, and you know I just watched her tell stories that were funny, and I mm-hmm. sat there going. I, we've got stories to tell from Springvale mm. and I've, and I've known Fiona since I was, uh, nine years old. So, um, I just went home to her and I just said, can we do a show? Um, 
and and perform it next year in the comedy festival. And we did that and we we performed around Australia for four years to Edinburgh uh, in 2017. But, yeah, in 2014, so three years after we conceived the show, it was kind of like how long can we do this as a theatre show? How long mm-hmm. can we keep selling 100 tickets um, to have 100 people watch it and do it again over and over? So, yeah, 2014 was when we started crowdfunding for a web series and we raised 11 grand. Um, and then I realized 11 grand is not enough to make a web series, but (laughs) we were, we were fucked because people had paid us. So now we had to make it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then it became another four year journey where we filmed it on a $9,000 budget. So what you see off me was a $9,000 production budget. And then I raised another thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars singing karaoke on crowdfunding again. And ingenious, I, by the way. Thank you. I love that as a concept. Oh, it's a good concept. And then I just realized there was no way we could do post-production. Um, I went to VidCon in 2018, spoke with Screen Australia at like a, a speed chat, you know, when you walk around tables. And they said, just put in a grant and in 2019 got a, got the money. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> and then j- released it four months later after we got the money. So that was nine years. Nine wow. years. Yeah. And I'm tired just saying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but how satisfying that it came to fruition and you got this really awesome beautiful story to all of these people like it uh, the response must have been so gratifying and so lovely uh we had a massive release last year at the nova cinema in ligon mm-hmm. street uh, is it nova nova cinemas yeah, um, in ligon. yeah um we had 240 people we had people who'd seen the show in, from 2011 we had crowdfunders like our biggest crowdfunder was a small business that gave us five thousand dollars um oh. and you know to be in that room with our cast and crew who worked on peanuts yeah. uh, and and the, the whole world was waiting. Like for four years we had, I had crowdfunded this money and you know when you have this debt on you, I felt mm. like um, I felt like people thought I had run away with their money and wasn't going <laughs> to produce something. Yeah. And so there was enormous pressure for me to produce something and so when we let it out, it was like giving birth to a like a five year old child. Um, wow. Like it, this this kid had been cooked way too long, um, and finally <laughs> to give birth was liberating. And it, I I didn't rec- I took me six months to recover, like mm. s- to recover from that whole. And I call it I say it in the most loveliest thing, but it was it was trauma for me because I'd never done a web series before. Like you know, Sonia, we, you know, we 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 trained to do live performers, mm. but to convert that to a script and make a web series, that was that was uncomfortably not in my zone at all. So yeah. yeah. And how did you feel on the night um, in the cinema? Ugh. You know, waiting for people to watch this, and it's on, and you're up there on the big screen, and you don't know what people are thinking. Oh man, it was so beautiful to see my face so big on a screen. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, like that is the best was finally where it should yes. be. <laughs> yes, the, the we paid, you know, we paid a lot of money to get that cinema. Um, yeah. Well, Screen Australia did, but yep. um, we actually did a screening in Sydney, so I got to see it twice on screen. And I, I have to say, the first time it was just kind of adrenaline. But the second yep. time I saw myself on the screen, um, and Benjamin Law was there, he was our moderator for our Q&A, it was so wow. gratifying because he was the first Asian-Australian story with um, the family law. And yep. to hear him cackle, to see my face on the screen, um, to and by this time it was like four days in and we had gotten like reviews and I, people were so shocked at the level, the, the professionalism of the show, like the quality, um, and they were shocked that Fiona and I had written a show by Googling on, on like, uh, on Google how to write a web series because we didn't know, <laughs> we didn't know wow. how to write a web series. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was beautiful. In the end, it was so beautiful. 
Yeah, well, I guess because for, for people, for outsiders, they don't really know. But for people in the industry, they know how much, like, it takes so much money and, you know, mm. you know, people usually have a lot of experience and that sort of thing. So then watching that um, at that level and, um, yeah, the, the way that it looks, the way that it's shot, it's very Ooh. impressive. Um, yeah. It's so impressive. Yeah, no, we Congrats had a really great, really, oh, thank you. We had a really great team and I'm just going to do a shout out to the cast yeah. and crew. They worked so hard on this and we couldn't have done it with our two producers uh, and um, my, our director, Mel Killingsworth um, and String Nguyen. They, they, that was the team. It was amazing. Yeah. That's so satisfying. That's so nice that it, it all came together so beautifully and that you could have this moment of celebration. That's so great. Yeah. Um, post-production is insane. And like you said, Son, like people who aren't in the industry don't realise how much time a 10-minute video can take to produce and get the money for and then actually create and then post-production. I worked on a music video last year. We worked three days where we shot it. It only just got released last week. Wow. It was just insane. And that's a, a three-minute music video. Like it's <laughs> these things take forever and it's sometimes it's funding, sometimes it's editing, but it's just it's it's incredible that you were able to get such a beautiful series out, mm. especially with that budget. And it's mm. you can see it. The, there's heart there. That's what we need. That's what all art should be. It's yeah. nice. It's great. Thank you. I think because um, there's never been a story about a, a Vietnamese family's refugee experience, it's all been about migration um, mm, and, you know, mm, border mm. control, you know, how to stop people from yeah. coming to the country. It's all about the helicopter and the surrendering of the Vietnam War um, and a lot of deaths, but there's not been a, a humorous show that celebrates struggle and love. Um, yeah. And if we talk about, you know, the refugee plight that's happening in Australia right now, like in the 1970s when Malcolm Fraser opened the door for refugees, it was the moment that Australia took off its um, white policy, uh, white Australian policy mm, mm. and allowed people to freely come into the country. Um, and we've seen the last 20 years that that hasn't happened, that that, that wall has gone back up again. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and I think that... You know, we, we we just know that those kind of attitudes from the government and those policies uh, influence the people of this country, um, and you know, predominantly white Australia and how they feel about immigration and refugees, um, which is incredibly sad and to the detriment of this country. And Ooh. you know, everyone trying to come here and have fruitful lives like yourself and your family. And, um, yeah, you, you did say that it, it mentions like your series does touch on some really heavy topics, mm. but it's your experience. So you're able to, you know, spin that into humor and, you know, there's, mm. a, there's a lot of serious stuff of your mom, like, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, threatening you and kicking you out and that sort of thing. Mm. Like it, yeah. it's heavy stuff, but mm. you're able to see the, the, um, light in that. Now mm. I read um your well you were featured in um Growing Up Asian in Australia by Alice Pung, your um piece called Five Ways to Disappoint Your Vietnamese Mother. Mm -hmm. And um you say that you as in the web series you got kicked out of home. Mm. Um yes. so that was based on a true story. Yes. So yeah I had my my first love at the age of 18 he was found mm. hiding in the cupboard yep. um and my mother's <laughs> way of dealing with that wasn't yep. to punish me and ground me it was actually to kick me out of the home and I'm very grateful for that because I don't think I'll be the artist that I am today if she didn't mm. do that <laughs> right yeah she gave you a really good story <laughs> Yes, she did. <laughs> but I also, it wasn't, a, it's the story, but it's also she let me free. She yeah, let right. me, like I I would have to report home when I got home. I would get missed calls from her. I, like, I felt really restricted. And, and yep. as an artist, you want to be liberated and be able to do um, what you needed to do. And I felt like I was still rebelling at 18 and you're supposed mm. to stop rebelling mm. at 18. You're supposed <laughs> to be an adult. But, um, yeah, when my mother kicked me out and I slept on the floor, we had mice, I just really got to live in the grit 
um, you know, worked three jobs, went to uni, got through uni, fell in love, travelled the world, and it really comes from when my mother cut those cut those clips off my wings and I got to fly out that coop. How did you, how did it change though? Like at the time, were you quite shocked when she said, yeah, you got to get out of here? Oh, it wasn't even the words getting me out of here. It was like, so I, uh, so he was hiding in the cupboard. My mum left and drove the long way out of the street. Instead of going going the shortcut, I think she knew. So she saw his car on the side of the road, called me up and said, get out of the house. So I got out of the house to go to uni, came back home and all my stuff was in the backyard. Mm. Like everything was in the backyard and the grass. Like my room was emptied um, and I just picked up my essentials and, you know, I, I, I walked away. And the funny thing was that three weeks later my mother pleaded with me to come back home because she yeah. realised <laughs> that the she actually made a horrible mistake. Um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, but, um, yeah, by my mum doing that, I, I, yeah, I got to be my own being. Mm. Did mm. you consider going back home or? Oh, I've gone back home in my late twenties and thirties. Yeah. Um, yeah. uh, because I uh, like in the last two years, I've had to come back home two, three times like living mm-hmm. the creative life, um, yep. and my mother, yeah. <laughs> my mother loves it. Oh, she right. loves it so much, um, and I, I know that. Uh, and you know, like five ways disappointing. Vietnamese mother talked about my age at. Uh, so I wrote five ways disappointing. Vietnamese mother when I was twenty two, twenty three, yep. um, and you know, it, and I, I speak to a lot of schools, and they go, "Oh, how's your relationship with your mum now?" Um, and over the last 10 years, and especially when she saw me performing Miss Saigon, she then understood why I was pursuing this career. Um, and it was because I was telling her story without her having to come on stage and tell her story. Um, mm. And she, she then understood the arts and why the arts was important. Um, but, yeah, it's been a lot of healing. Um, and for me, I can say that I've been an ungrateful bitch um because you know it took me at the age of 25 to realize the sacrifices my mum did like to come to Australia to get on a boat um and the I I remember her telling me the story of how when um they found an island off Malaysia they'd been on the boat for three four days found an island they walked up to the shore of the beach they torched the boat um so that they couldn't be um, you know, taken back to Vietnam and she just sat there watching this boat burn. And for me that is a timeless image mm. um, of what my mother did for me and for my sisters and the next generation. Like my sister just had mm. a baby and that's the third generation. But I can never, I don't know if I could ever do that for my future child. And I, um, And the idea that my mother never had met me before but was really thinking of me mm. is something I can't repay <laughs> but yeah. I will honour her. <laughs> yes, you do mm. and you honour her through your performance <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and through your success. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess it's kind of like in the t- at the time and, you know, being a teenager or a young adult, you kind of like you don't understand these decisions and it's like so I've got a boyfriend, like what's the big deal? So I've got a guy in my room. To us it's not a big deal, but I, I guess it was to her. And did she want you to finish your studies first before you find if you found a partner? Um, you know, there's a joke like our parents wanted us to uh, have a boyfriend after university because mm-hmm. boys are distractions. Um, yep. But, yeah, I was, I was doing a Bachelor of Arts at Monash Uni. So you know, the, only, the only direction I could have gone into was teaching with that degree. Um, yeah. and you know, I remember I was working at nine West, uh, selling shoes on Sunday. My mum would drop in and she'd be like, why don't you do a dip head? You know, do you want to sell shoes mm. for the rest of your life? And I understand where it comes from. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I came here with nothing. Mm-hmm. I don't know why you're working at a minimum wage. Like, mm. um, 
you know, <laughs> it wasn't worth it for me to come here on a boat. I don't know. It's like that yeah. huge pressure. Yeah, right. um, but, you know, I over the years and especially with the success, success of Fee and Me, like I took my mum to the US with me when I had to perform there. Like it, awesome. it opened, yeah, it, she, she seen more of the world because of me, because of that moment when she unclipped me, I've always taken my mum overseas with me. So, mm. um, you know, I'm, I'm sharing the world with her and, and she's actually become the character Kim Hoon. Like um, she's very boisterous and she's dancing more. Um, there's joy in her. So, you know, I, yeah, I can never repay her, but I, I, I'm glad that she's able to um, adapt herself and be a more happier person, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I think the th- great thing about this show that we do is that we're, I, we're often speaking to artists or creatives in different fields. Um, and it is really, I mean, it's just like blanket, easy to say that almost all immigrants or even children of immigrants do not want their children in the arts. And you know what? As you said, like we're always going to be... Yeah, going back to theirs. So why would they be complaining? One, we're always going to be hanging out with them. Isn't that what they want? But the reality is, you know, arts are hard. But Mm. also currently lots of different fields are difficult. So as long as you're doing something that makes you happy, Mm. sooner or later your parents realise that. And, you know, Mm. how many people have we spoken to, Sonia, who have said, you know, it took my mum seeing this gig or um, they came to this performance or, you know, by the time I got this job it was like it's – they and want to make sure that you're safe yeah. and, and I think, you're on the right path. You know, immigration is only one part of it. Like um, it's reflected in TV and films and just like stories that um, parents of any kind of background, for some reason, arts is not looked upon favourably and acting and performing because it is an unstable profession. So... Mm. Parents tend to um, like favour things that are more stable Mm. and then on top of that, if your parents have immigrated here as well, that adds another layer of um, perhaps um, culture or tradition or, um, you know, um, difficulty in making your way in a country. So there's a few different factors that are sort of layered on top of, you know, the already difficulty of the arts and getting your parents Mm. on board, I think. Um, And, yeah, as Mel said, we have had people saying it it takes – it just takes something. It takes them seeing you thriving and seeing, you know, a particular moment that it's like, oh, Wow, like, yeah. you know, because like. But that's why it's so gorgeous that your mum can be involved in this because mm. you, not only is your art representative of your culture and your experience, but you are able to, like you said, thrive with her and bring her into this journey. Like that's so gorgeous for your relationship and for yeah. her. And she's, she's actually in the web series. So I don't, I don't know if you've seen the one where it's in the fur restaurant and she's the one who runs out of the store. Like she loved it. Yeah, She right. loved it. She, That's so cute. She loves, like when I did Miss Saigon, the next yep. day she's like, if they're looking for any other actors, I'm available. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, oh, the, she has really come full circle, hasn't she? Oh, yeah, she's yeah, like, yeah. no, don't go into acting. And now she's like, all of us need to be in acting. We're an acting family now. <laughs> I know, but this is the this is the bull crap about it. It was that like I had piano lessons at three years old. I did ballet yeah. at seven. Mum played karaoke yeah. every single day on laser disc, <laughs> yeah. right? And then when, yeah. when I got to year 10, it was this massive backflip. Um, mm. It's like here you can, you can you know, let's talk about vegetarian. You can eat meat for the rest of your life, but today you're not eating anything. Um, yeah. You know, it was like a massive like shift and I, I rebelled against that at the age of 16 yeah, so. yeah. And t- definitely a rebellious age <laughs> um so it sounds like it was difficult for you to have a boyfriend well how long had you been dating before your mum found out oh oh I was five about nine months 
about nine months. Wow. Yeah. 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 Oh, my mom. My mother has a massive distrust of men, and it's been yeah. passed down to us because my yeah. dad. My dad is a, um, a was a cheater um, yeah. that she kept falling for, and that's that's you know it's interesting. In the last twelve months, I've been doing a massive rehaul on what I've learned from my parents and the yeah. men that I've attracted. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, so that was, uh, yeah, when my mum, yeah, my mum was watching my mum react to my ex, she just saw that he was a bad person for deflowering me. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Not that he did anything particularly bad. (laughs) Yes, but he took Um, my virginity. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's a terrible thing to do. No one. We've else spoken takes about this Diana's before. <laughs> Ever again. Do you feel like because we've spoken about you know uh, ethnic parents compared to like some of our Aussie friends mm. and how we were almost jealous of like the girls that could stay over at boys' houses and yes. how like you know just through generational culture, sex is not really discussed um, and like you know, emphasis on marriage and stability is very strong, Mm. but getting to that point can be difficult. Yeah. Um, Did you feel growing up that other friends like were experiencing similar things to you? Oh man, if you, if I was sex and city and compared, I mean, being in my girlfriend group, I was Samantha, but a hundred (laughs) times. Like my girlfriends. That's so cute. My girlfriends are married to their first loves. They've been with their partners for 10 to 15 years. Mm. They now have three children. They've got two homes and they support my career because when I got kicked out of home, if I think about my network, it was my girlfriends because I was so out of the pool. Like I was the ocean girl and they were like in the the fishbowl. Um, yeah, so they they've never had to experience what I've experienced, but they've been able to watch <laughs> watch it happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's been that's been the the difference between my, my girlfriends growing up and to now. Do you think yeah. that's why they got married so quick? Because they're like, oh, we don't want to go through what Diana's going through. Let's just <laughs> let's just get it over with. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's it's, it's well, what maybe said. they actually love their partners. <laughs> they 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 do they do love, they do they do love their partners. But you said something right, Sonia. It is about mm. culture, and it mm. is about this weird ass sexism that happens. That boys boys can get girls pregnant, yes. but girls yes. can't yes. get pregnant. Um, yes. Boys mm. can neglect their responsibilities, but women can't. Um, and it's it's the motion of you know, the passage of the parents giving away their daughter to mm. a man. Yep. That's, you know, that's, it's it's changed but it still has that same narrative that um, you can grow and move on but you need someone to be there next to you in this. Um, yeah. For me, it's been, I've had interchangeable partners uh, over, you know, the last 20 so years Um yeah, so I've been lucky that I've able to experience different human beings and gone, no, I don't like you, let's not be in this relationship. But I guess it's harder when you're being with someone so long, your values are entwined, you have children. Uh, yeah, I'm just curious in that notion too. You, you, you made a joke like they're happy, but <laughs> yeah. what does that even mean when you've been yeah, with someone yeah. for so long? Um, yeah. Yeah, and I guess it's like the realization because I know with my parents, it's they they very much come from, you know, we say traditional backgrounds in with you know marriage and that sort of thing. But what does that mean? Well, but it's basically for them, it's like you meet someone, you get married. Like you don't go around dating other people. Like even now, my mom really struggles with like how could you have a partner and then break up with them. And then you have another partner, like at some other point in your life. And she's like, I I shouldn't meet people if you're going to break up with them. Like she takes it very seriously, even though it's me dating something. Like it doesn't necessarily have, it's not her life, but she feels like it's a part of her life. And, you know, my mum got married when she was 19, you know. Wow. My parents met, they got married in after three months. Like. Wow. they can't see the um hey some people do 
mm. get together and they find someone and then they get married and that's it. But I, then there's mm. a lot of different aspects as well. If you go back to the story of Adam and Eve and, you know, if that's the, that's the traditional married couple, but then you have the snake that comes in and offers the apple, I think it's the notion like you shouldn't try anything that's greener. So anyone that's experimenting and being in different relationships and experiment their sexuality and dating lots of people, you're just always seeking the greener, the greener, the greener, the greener. Yeah, right. Um, but the people who aren't and they've been with their partners since they were 19 are just kind of like, I'm happy and that's okay. But, um, you know, I think there's more to life then um, I'm not saying like more to life doing with one partner. That's what it sounds like <laughs> I was going to say. But, <laughs> but I, I do believe that um, every person that comes into your life ha- is a reason um, and it's, yeah, and if it doesn't work, you can chew them off away um, yeah. and, you know, lear- learn from that experience. Yeah, yeah, it's mm. learning too. But the, the double standard that you mentioned is frustrating because mm. um, even I've, I've gotten the feeling of, you know, coming from a traditional household, but, you know, if a guy, they sort of think about like if a guy sleep with with someone, that's someone sleeping with someone, but if a woman sleeps with people, then you're a slut. Like there's a real double standard there. Um, Yeah. And I think that's something, it's tricky because we are, modern women and Mm. we're dating and you know we're you know living our lives and (laughs) being a sexual person is part of that and our sexuality but we kind of had to I don't know shut off some stuff that Mm. did you feel like that that you had to kind of block some of maybe negative um stereotypes from the past yeah, of... I, I'm constantly reminded by my mum that I'm 35 and single, like yeah. constantly reminded because um, my sister just gave birth last week and she said, well, look what you're missing out on, um, <laughs> oh, you know. Um, but with, with sexuality, it's kind of funny. Like I, I there's this one time I, I remember my mum came over to my house and she was tired so I let her lie in my bed and then I came back 10 minutes later and she had lined up all my dildos on the <laughs> on the table <laughs> because they were underneath my pillow they were oh underneath my, the oh pillow yeah 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 <laughs> and i just cracked up laughing because oh my god I, I don't know if she knew what the function was but i knew she thought that was weird but so we never did she, say? she never we she never did. talked about it but yeah um but you know if there's three objects that kind of look the same yeah. and they're like on your daughter's bed. But I think she, I, I feel like I've been a very sexual person because I say this with, um, I'm okay with it, which is I did witness my parents having sex when I was a child. Yeah. So, um, like, like, so yeah, it's kind of, I know that's so weird to say out loud, but I, I oh. did because my parents thought I didn't see, but I did. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Sex, sex has been normal for me because I think because I mm-hmm. got to witness it and I got to witness in a really nice, it was a nice energy of two people coming together. Um, mm. Yeah, so I feel like when my mum found my, my, my vibrators and, you know, she must have thought, yeah, I don't know. I actually would love to do a show and find out what my mother thought. And, well, oh, that's what I was really going to say. You've got another episode in that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's this thing about parents and sexuality and mm. that's cool. Like if it's awkward, like it's always going to be awkward. Yeah. But like as long as sex isn't being portrayed in a negative way mm. and that's just a normal thing, that's fine. We need we need to have these discussions and I think it's yeah, it's okay. As yeah. long as she didn't like hit you over the head with the dildo, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I, Mel, you said something right, which is, yeah, I think because sex has been, especially in Asian culture, it has been limited and I think yeah. that's dangerous when you limit conversations about sexuality or um, pleasure. I think that's the word, pleasure, mm. because pleasure becomes just a man and woman having sex. But pleasure for me as a woman is about what do I enjoy about my body, 
so that another person gets to enjoy it. And I think that's very limiting in the Asian culture because, you know, um, yeah, I, I, it's very rare to have conversations with your parents about sex. I, mm. I can say that <laughs> um, yeah. it's not part of it's not part of the curriculum at all. Parenting curriculum. The other thing I wanted to ask you about from five ways to disappoint your Vietnamese mother mm. um, was going to Vietnamese school because um, oh. we spoke to um, David Kutsarides, who's a comedy writer, and he shared a similar experience where he his he went to Greek school and everyone was like a toddler. Like he mm. was older and he was having to learn Greek with all these little kids. And you mentioned in your piece that you had a similar experience. Yeah, I was so dreadful. So I was 11 years old. We'd just come back from Vietnam after three months and my mother just kicked into her brain like when she did with um, year, year 11 BC drama was yeah. that, nope, you're going to go to Vietnamese school at the age of 11 years old. You're going to go to level one class. And so here I was, 11-year-old girl, about to hit puberty, but, yeah. but, but now a child in Vietnamese class and I, I hated it so much. I was crying. Um, I, I would throw tantrums on a Sunday morning so I couldn't go. Mm. Uh, and I, I, wonder, I wonder if the way my mother did it, well, okay, also during this time Pauline Hansen was around. Mm. And I was going through a massive shift in my identity about what was cool, what, mm. and I was really worried about my mum being sent back to Australia, uh, back to Vietnam, sorry. Mm. So it was, I, I was going through an identity crisis, crisis at 11 years old um, and Vietnamese was so uncool um, for this 11-year-old child and, um, yeah, I, I fought. I fought so hard that, the reason why I got out of enemy school in year 10 was I said to my mum, I need to concentrate on my studies. Whew. Yes, and that was my way out of it. However, yeah. I regret I regret all of this. Uh, I, I am mourning and grieving that I've mm. lost my language. Mm. Um, it, uh, I'm reminded of every day when I talk to my mum or try to talk to someone who's Vietnamese in my community and I'm especially with the pandemic, I remember missing my mum so much and I was thinking in my brain, like, how do I connect with her? And I, I just went, I have to do Vietnamese classes. Yeah. <laughs> so I've had one Vietnamese class with, um, with a teacher and she, she just cracked up laughing when I was showing her the stuff I was MC, because I MC Vietnamese weddings. Yeah. Um, and she just cracked Cute. up laughing at the sentences that I would be throwing out into the audience. <laughs> like, thank God I'm a comic comedian because she just, yeah, she could not stop laughing at all uh, at how ridiculous my Vietnamese is. But I... Oh, I, right, at the language. Yes. Yeah. Oh, the, yeah, it was, it was just colloquial bogan. Imagine yeah. speaking <laughs> at a wedding and someone's emceeing in colloquial bogan. Um, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> Do you think the guests understood you, though? Oh, no. Vietnamese people are very judgmental. So oh, no. <laughs> when I opened my mouth, like the, the senior generation, the first generation, they would just go, what is this? What, what is this? Oh, what is happening? Oh. Um, but but you know, with stand up, you just kind of keep going with the hecklers. Like yeah. you don't you don't <laughs> you don't stop. You just keep going. Um, but yeah, I that's been a massive regret is losing my mother's tongue. Yeah, yeah. Massive. But it, it, it's mm. such a great thing that you can um, do the classes now, and that you don't have to go to a school with tiny little kids and <laughs> little children <laughs> to find a me school. Um, yeah. How confident are you? Oh, no, not confident learning. at all. Oh, oh hell yeah. no. No. I was going to say, I saw that you did uh, the multicultural round for the AFL, mm. that you were commentating that. Mm. That's awesome, by the way. Thank like, you. That's, oh, <laughs> I'm such an AFL diehard, come from a very big AFL family. What? And What's your I'm team? a Geelong supporter. Oh, okay. Hawthorne. Yeah, my mum. Oh, my God, we've got beef. Can you see the colour? Can you yeah, see I was the colour? Yeah, <laughs> beautiful yellow jacket. Um, Thank you. 
I'm still crying from our defeat in 2008 to Hawthorne. So um, I, I'm only now half your friend. I I'm was, a polite. I, I was very drunk on, in tw- 2008 when that happened. <laughs> I think meant just um, in 2008 in But when I saw that you did the commentating for the multicultural round, I was just so excited. That's so awesome. Mm. But how can you say that you don't feel confident with your Viet and then do something like that, which is so fast-paced and, like, you're learning all the players and you're just speaking so quickly? Well... If you just listen to it again, you really only hear me say four words. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Because <laughs> I had friends tune in who weren't Vietnamese and they're like, oh, I can really understand what you're still saying because it was just so limited. <laughs> oh, my God. You just had to learn. It's so cute. Great kick and good yeah, mark. And- and if you think about football, it is yep. energy. It's kind of like yep. what you bring when they grab that ball. Um, and I, I joke about it in my stand-up show and just say that the only two words you really hear me say is kick ball, kick ball, kick ball, kick ball. Lucky <laughs> <laughs> like they kick the ball a lot. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the right sport. It's the right sport. I love that. Uh, yeah, there you go. Sport it for everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, awesome. Well. Um, That's a great place to end the episode. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us and sharing more of your story. Um, It's been excellent. Um, So great to chat to you and looking forward to meeting you in person beyond, let's say, two to three months from now. Um, Where can can people find you online and uh, where can they watch Fee and Me? Awesome. So uh, on all social medias, you can find me at Real Dinah Nguyen. Uh, I've re- I've uh, concreted it all down to one handle. Yeah. And also uh, you can check out Fee and Me at www.feeandme.tv. And, yeah, and I've got my live comedy show, which is called The Snortcast, interviewing funny people, you know. During a pandemic, it's important. It is. So good. Yeah. Rockstar. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook at Who the Bloody Hell Are We for more um, funny content. And, um, yeah, we're also on Patreon. If you would like to donate and get some bonus episodes, you'll get our newsletter, you'll get a shout-out and um, all that good stuff. If you are liking what you're hearing, share, like, uh, rate and review us. That would be much appreciated. Goodbye, listeners. Ciao. Bye. Thanks for listening to Who the Bloody Hell Are We? If you like what you're hearing, subscribe, rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. Audio production and original music is by Andre Christodoulou. Search for us on Facebook for more information about our guests, fun content and to keep the conversation going.